Welcome back to Out the Gate, the podcast about sailing and adventure on and around San Francisco Bay. Will Curry grew up cruising with his family in Desolation Sound. Sarah Curry didn't. But she did grow up reading about families that were out cruising and longed to do it herself. So it's not surprising that on their very first date, they talked about sailing to the South Pacific. Five years later, that's just what they were doing aboard their very own boat, a 1986 Beneteau First 405. They bought her in Mexico in 2011 and sailed her over 10,000 miles through the Pacific and down to Australia. And after sailing that boat there in Australia, it didn't take them long before they were on to boat number two, a Genoa Sun Odyssey 43 named KaiQuest. Well, they recently sailed that boat down from the Pacific Northwest to Mexico with their two boys now, born in the summer of 2019. In addition to sailing together, Will and Sarah work together on the family business, Hydrovane Steering Systems. The Hydrovane is a self-steering gear with an independent runner, and um, you can easily spot them in harbors all over the world thanks to the big red wind vanes that they have. When I spoke to Will and Sarah a few weeks ago, they were just getting ready to go back to their boat in Mexico after being off her since the beginning of the pandemic. I touched base with them just before publishing this, and they're thrilled to be back aboard. So enjoy this conversation that the three of us had. It was a lot of fun to record. Tell us where you are right now. Well, right at this moment, we're, we're in North Vancouver. British Columbia, Canada. So we're not on a boat or anywhere exciting like that, but we're very soon to be back on our boat. So we're pretty excited. But yeah, we're, we're in our, our, our home in Vancouver. That's home base boat. for you. Yeah. And where is your boat? The boat is now in La Paz down in Mexico. And uh, we sailed down there in February with the two boys. They were six months at the time. Yeah. Family friend of ours who crewed with us. And we were so stoked to get down there. It was pretty awesome. We got into La Paz and then COVID hit. Yeah. <laughs> so we, are, uh, we got back here a lot sooner. We've actually been back here since, well, the end of March. So... Your original plans were, were what? How did COVID change your plans? We were just going to be in Mexico for, um, for a few months longer. And then we were going to leave the boat there over the hurricane season anyways and come back. So it didn't, you know, it just kind of cut our, our cruising for 2020 uh, in half, probably. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we first met briefly, very briefly, I think it was two years ago at the... Uh, Pacific Power and Sailboat Show here in Richmond, California. And you guys were here as part of your work, which is with Hydrovane. Yeah, we do. We're, we're boat show circuit junkies, I guess. <laughs> I've been doing that. I've been to, I think, oh 15 years of that show already. Wow. Yeah. That's actually a surprisingly good show. I, yeah. we, like, we like exhibiting there. I've enjoyed it. And now I, I grew up on the Annapolis boat show, so it's hard yeah. to compete hard to with that. that one. <laughs> yeah. But it does, it does 
a good job. We'll get back to Hydrovane, but I want to jump back like I do with most of my guests and talk about how you each got into sailing. And you have done a lot of sailing together, but I want to ask you each how you were introduced to sailing, how you came to it. Well, why don't we start with you? Yeah, so for me, uh, it was uh, summer holiday vacations with the family, and we would go up to uh, Desolation Sound. Our first family boat was a Columbia 26, and the four of us piled in there, and uh, we did two weeks on that. And I remember the first summer we did it, we were coming back from Desolation Sound, and we all kind of realized that we quite like the lifestyle, and it's fun. And my mom was already on the phone with a, a yacht broker to get a bigger boat because uh, the Columbia 26 didn't quite cut it. Did your, either of your parents grow up sailing? How did they come to it? How did you decide to do it as a family? Yeah, so both my parents, my, my dad's done a lot of sailing. He uh, did a lot of transatlantic stuff. Uh, he sailed on a boat called Bolero, which was uh, fairly well known back in its day. And then my parents were backpacking around the world and they, they, got, they crewed on a boat from Panama to Tahiti. And uh, it's pretty funny hearing the stories of the stuff that they experienced and the boat that they were on, it was an old wooden one-off style. They actually had loose ballast in the keel, wow. so in the bilges. It sounded pretty, um, pretty rustic. Yeah, <laughs> what year was that that they did that? Would have been probably early 70s. The South Pacific has changed a little bit. A few more cruising boats nowadays. Yeah. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, quite a few nowadays. (laughs) Sarah, you spent a little bit of time on boats, but never was cruising with your family growing up. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I also spent summers up in this area called Desolation Sound that's about 100 miles north of Vancouver. Um, but my family would rent like a cabin on an island. And then we had this tiny little power boat that we'd go zip around to all the different areas. So that was kind of it for me for boating, you know, yeah. um, not really any sailing. I honestly just, I knew absolutely nothing when I met Will. But ironically, I had read this book when I was younger called Kids for Sale, and it was about a family that sold everything, bought a sailboat, and and sailed the South Pacific. And I was kind of obsessed with this book. I thought it was the coolest story. And I kept saying to my parents, let's do this. And they were like, what? Like, where is this coming from? And then when I met Will and on our very first date, he kind of said that he was a sailor, and I I mentioned this book. I couldn't believe it. And, was... and he was and he was like, yeah, well, my family kind of did that, and it, we were inspired by that very same book that you're talking about. So it was a bit of an aha moment of like, life is about to change. This is my guy, and I feel like we're gonna do something cool. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. How many years? between that first date and when you guys were setting off across the Pacific yourselves? Yeah, so we, when did we meet? 2007, I think, and we saved... It was pretty much five years. Yeah, we saved, like, that was kind of, like, from our, the moment we got together, we're like, okay, we're, we're going to start saving to buy our, our own boat. And uh, so we saved for five years, and kind of finally we got married in 2011, and we finally had, like, the, the money together to get a boat. And we went on Yacht World, and we're like, okay, where's our boat? Like, we're buying one next month. <laughs> and we found three boats down in Guaymas in Mexico, which is kind of our target area to start. Well, was very smart about that to get me started in sailing, like, somewhere mm. warm. Yes. 
so wise decision. Um, and, you know, probably a month later, we had bought this boat and I quit my job. I kind of, my career went out the window in some ways and um, we started a whole new adventure. It happened very quickly when it was time to happen. And how did you decide what boat? You ended up getting a, a Beneteau 405, right? Beneteau first? Yeah, yeah we were... Yeah under no circumstances going to buy a production boat. <laughs> it's funny because, you know, you can have all these criteria of what you're looking for. And yeah. if you really try and hone in on one specific brand or type of boat, you're never going to find it. You know, yeah. there's every, every boat has its issues. And really it just came down to price point where the boat was and what sort of met our general plan. And the boat that we got was, it had been well cared for and worked out really well. Yeah, everyone tells you what you need in an offshore boat. And luckily, well, like, is pretty knowledgeable about, about boats already. But we're so glad we bought that boat. We were able to sell it in a flash in Australia because it was a Beneteau, because the name was known. So it was, like, kind of the best, the, it was the best case circumstance. It was definitely, like, the right purchase at the right time. I think that's yeah. so important is, is that aspect of, the right boat, the right time, mm -hmm. well, well taken care of, but not getting hung up on saying, I have to have this boat. This is the boat I need. Totally. It's the only boat that's going to take me across oceans or where I want to go because there's so many ways to do it. Totally. So many ways to do and it, for sure. I always find it interesting too, when you look at production boats, it's not... If someone says, oh, I would never buy a Beneteau, Beneteaus are crap. Well, the reality is Beneteau produces thousands of different models of their boat, mm. you know, and they're all different. You know, some are built better than others, but um, you really, you don't want to be narrow-minded when you're looking for, for a boat, that's for sure. Yeah, no, that's great, great advice. So Sarah, talk a little bit about how the reality of cruising measured up to this fantasy that you had read about oh man back then it honestly felt like we were living it was a dream you know I got to go into my my office where I was working and say uh sorry I have to give my notice we bought a boat in Mexico and we're sailing to the South Pacific you know and my boss is just like what you sail no I don't sail but like we're we're doing it I so. thought it was funny though your <laughs> boss you said oh I'm going cruising and oh, so she assumed that Sarah was, like, was going cruising on a cruise, cruise ship, ship. <laughs> <laughs> those early moments down there were were just so awesome it was we, we were you're it's like you're running off of adrenaline we bought this boat we didn't know if it was going to be a good boat or bad boat we had some really really scary moments like Actually, we, we never did a sea trial because the boat was actually hauled out at the time and we mm. didn't have time or money to like to get down there and like actually really do a, a proper um, inspection. We also did it to sweeten the deal yeah. for, the, for the seller. So but the first tactics involved. when we did actually launch the boat, remember, we got it in the water, yeah. started up the engine for the first time. And like, there was this absolute, it was like fine for probably a minute. And then there was this absolutely horrendous noise, like clank, 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 clank. There, and like, it was an old Perkins 4108 and it's actually a great engine. There was a guy working on it with me and we were just tweaking a few things. And he, he'd actually just said to me, he said, yeah, you must be really happy. This engine sounds great. 
And uh, I said, yeah. And then literally it was like, it sounded like you dropped uh, a socket inside the engine. It was just Oof. a horrifying sound. And so he had just dealt with bent connecting rods on his Perkins. So he instantly goes to these extreme, you know, ideas of what's going on. And he was freaking of, us out. And so we were just like, oh my around us, like, oh my God, you guys, like, I think you bought a lemon. Like, you're going to have to replace the engine. And like, I've never seen Will so close to tears, like just being like, oh my gosh, what have we done? And then, uh, so I was like, I got to get a second opinion on this. So we found a local mechanic in Guaymas, a Mexican guy who actually didn't speak much English. But uh, he came down to the boat, we started the engine and literally like within five seconds, he's like, yeah, fuel injectors. And I was like, what? Like how can fuel injectors make that sound? And it, I guess it's just something to do with the misfiring, you know, when you've got bad injectors. And because the boat had been sitting for so long in that really high heat, the injectors were bad. So it was like wow. a, a dream at that time with like these short, like nightmare bursts of like, <laughs> <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> Good way to describe That's a it. really good description yeah. of boat ownership. <laughs> Nightmare bursts, watch out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you hope that the dream part uh, yeah. outweighs the nightmare part. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so we know that you sold the boat in Australia. We did. Tell us about your... your the in-between from Mexico. <laughs> you know what? It was... It was really interesting because we, we felt, we still feel very young, but we felt even younger back then and very free. And we still kind of were trying to work remotely whenever we had internet connection. But really it was an interesting time because like we didn't even have a cell phone. We mm. didn't like, we weren't doing anything like Instagram. I was writing this blog, like kind there of, was no Instagram. There, like I think there was Instagram, but like no one was really using it. Like there was no one doing videos about anything. We were just all like out there and we met all these, ironically, all these other young cruisers, many of them who were, who were Swedes, which was kind of cool, but we were all just kind of out there just really, really living in the moment like more than I ever have in my entire life. And I really do attribute that now to the fact that we didn't have cell phones, which is so know. crazy. Like for, for almost a year, we were cell phone less. I don't know if that'll ever happen again. Probably not. <laughs> well, I was just thinking that. I mean, cruising yeah. now, you can have a satellite phone, you can have yeah. a Garmin inReach or a, yeah. Um, yeah. It's but it was just magical, magical. I remember when we were in uh, Paradise Village, we met a, an older cruiser there that had been in the South Pacific for, I think, five or six years. Mm -hmm. And I asked him as we were preparing, I said, you know, what's it really like? Like, is it, is it, is it worth all this effort? And he's like, it's beyond your wildest dreams, how cool it is and the amazing places that you can go. And that's exactly how I would describe it to someone else wanting to go there because you get to go to places that nobody else goes. And uh, yeah. it's, it's pretty spectacular. So you guys did Circuit of the South Pacific. Did you go from Mexico to the Marquesas or what was your route? Yeah, exactly. So we left um, Puerto Vallarta late March. This was actually in 2013 was the year that we crossed. And we, were, we had a really, really good long leg there. We were 19 days to arrive in Nuka Hiva uh, in the Marquesas. Nothing broke, which was amazing. We had no kind of like major incidents. We just um, passed the time. We caught like zero fish because we're terrible fisher people. Yeah, a relatively easy long crossing, especially compared to some of the ones that Will has done. 
Uh, and from there we kind of did, we, you know, it was, it was kind of the coconut milk run route where through uh, the Marquesas, the Tuamoto, Society Islands, and then we went straight from Bora Bora to Nui, which is um, I think the smallest island nation in the world. And, and that was pretty epic. And then, you know, the, the hops get kind of a little bit shorter as you continue along. They get You're, easier. The they get easier too. Yeah, it's like three nights or four nights, not like the long stuff anymore. So, um, gosh, I just can't, talking about it, I can't wait to do it again. And what year did you get down to Australia and, and sell HydroQuest, your first boat? So we actually crossed um, in one one season. We did the pedal jump in 2013. Okay. And we made landfall. I remember we made landfall. It was like end of October that same year. Um, so it was eight, mar eight months all the way across. And we got down to Sydney and we had the boat there for a number of months. And then we listed her early 2014 and, and she sold really, really quickly in, in Sydney. So... I have a buddy who did that uh, yeah. a, a number, actually a while ago now. Uh, but Benito's have always had quite a good resale value down yeah. under. All the production boats, yeah. especially in Sydney, for whatever reason, Benito, Bavaria, Hansa, Genoa, they just eat them up. Sydney's where you want to go. If you're going to sell a boat down under, that's where all the money is and that's where the market is. I mean, they're, they're crazy about sailing like it's kind of like san francisco bay right like sydney harbor and, yeah. and and the bay area just they have so many similarities a lot of similarities except there's more areas to cruise i would say in sydney and what is it Pittwater? that's just yeah. north of there you know mm. so yeah. you guys weren't boatless for long though <laughs> we weren't boatless. No. no it was like for the first six months i thought it was yeah. great you know no boat projects and <laughs> My hands weren't dinged up all the time from cuts from trying to get into awkward yeah. weird spaces. But after that, it was just like, ah, this is, this is boring. We need to, we got to get another boat. So you were back in Vancouver? Yeah, we yeah. came back to Vancouver and actually we were living with my parents and we we're like, man, we really need to get another boat and move aboard that boat. We started looking and it was a little bit harder to find a second boat because we were a little bit more specific about what we wanted. Uh -huh. um, we had a couple deals fall through and then ironically, the boat showed up in Nanaimo, which is like 60 miles, 60 away. miles away at like in Canadian waters, which was really cool at that time. Um, and the boat, the name of the boat was Questo, which is kind of funny because we had HydroQuest and then we, we liked the Quest. So uh -huh. we, we did change the name to Kai Quest, but she was already there. She was already wanting to, to be part of our adventure. Oh, that is great. In your home waters. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we, were, we were looking in all of North America pretty much. Yeah. And then this one just kind of fell into our laps. And... Yeah. Wow. Yeah, she's a, a Genoa uh, Sun Odyssey 43, um, 2001. And that was kind of a very specific kind of year that we were looking for. And we had crews in the South Pacific. Uh, there was a, a, a Swedish guy who had um, the DS version. And we kind of just fell in love with the interior space and then the cockpit. <laughs> it's, the cockpit was yeah. cute. That was actually, it's funny because all our time in the South Pacific, you pretty much live in the cockpit and outdoors. And yeah. so what, pretty much our number one criteria was a big cockpit. So tell us a little bit about why were you looking for that year, that boat? What were some of the, the things about the boat that you were really 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think um, so that era between 2000 and 2006, uh, one of the things that's different from a lot of the other production boats is there's no pan construction. So all the strainers are actually glassed into the hull. So it makes it a lot easier for a running wires and running plumbing and doing all that. But also it's a little more structurally sound and it's amazing because you go down below on our boat when we were coming down the washington oregon coast you could hear a pin drop you know yeah. you don't get that sort of working noise which really actually surprised me the boat is really rigid and mm. there's lots of other things that we liked about it but that was kind of one of the specific things we also wanted it to like to be in the 2000s just for for resale and like you know a little bit newer on the well i mean half the electronics probably should be replaced now, but like just the wiring and all that kind of stuff is done really well. And so you said you brought her down the Washington and Oregon coast where, where I, you've brought, you've been down here in San Francisco with her, I believe, right? Yeah. We spent eight months in the Bay area and uh, that Washington, Oregon coast, man, I tell you, I, that's the fourth time I've done it. And uh, it's never fun. It's, there's, <laughs> And at least you were coming the right way. Yeah, yeah totally. and I've gone, I've gone north once, but uh, <laughs> yeah, coming down, so it's just, it's cold and wet, traps yeah, in the yeah. water, and there's a lot of fishing boats. I mean, our trip overall was really, really good. good, and we timed it quite well weather-wise. It's just the fog. But, I mean, I had never yeah. sailed in fog before, and that, it was just wild, like, as you know, being in the Bay Area, but like, blasting through the night like not even being able to see the bow of the boat with like we had our AIS running we had our radar running like just all this stuff going on and knowing that there were fishing boats around us it was it was totally freaky <laughs> yeah it's nerve-wracking isn't it yeah AIS does make a difference did you guys have AIS the first time through the Pacific we yeah. had a receiver on the first boat just through the VHF um, the standard horizon and then on our current boat, we got both the transceiver so we can transmit and receive. Yeah, back in 2012, 13, it seems like it kind of, it was, it was, yeah, and it was way more expensive to get yeah. the transceiver. So yeah, we just got the, the radio that had the receiver built in, but we had an incident actually when we were between, I think, uh, New, New Caledonia, Caledonia and Australia. And we were actually in this big squall and we noticed that there was a target on this AIS. We like, honestly, we saw no ships in the South Pacific. So it was like mind blowing to like see something. And we were on a very, very, very close collision Our course. Our CPA was like point, like, point 0.1 of a mile or something. It was like, like oh really, really, really yeah. a dangerous situation. And so Will called up the captains that, oh my God, you know, we're wing on wing here. Like we're in the squall. You obviously can't see us on your radar. We're not pinging on AIS. Like you have to divert course because we can't. He, he actually, so he couldn't see us and I gave him our Latin long and he said, well, and I said, you know, by the way, we're sailing wind on wind right now. And it's actually going to take a little bit for us to do a sail maneuver <laughs> to change course. Are you okay with that? And he's like, no, just tell me what course you want me on and I'll do it. And so he did this 60 degree drastic course change to avoid us. And once we got through it all and the, and the squall passed, I called him up after and I just said, you know, thanks so much for doing that. You know, just out of curiosity, where are you headed? And he said, oh, we're heading around the horn. We're a super tanker. We can't get through the Panama Canal. So we're going around the horn. So there's this 
giant ship that altered course for this, you know, dinky 40 foot sailboat. Thank goodness. But wow. That's why we would never, I mean, nowadays I feel like all cruising boats have the ability to, to ping out a signal and it is just such a easy, easy. The amount that it costs, it's worth every penny. So much, yeah, safety. Worth the peace of mind and the safety aspect. Yeah. Oh, that's a, that's an incredible story. (laughs) Yeah. But back down to the, going down the Oregon, Washington, Oregon coast. um, (laughs) There's a great picture on your blog of you, Sarah, uh, with a jib sheet in each hand and the Golden Gate Bridge behind you, I think just before you guys came under, that must've felt good to come out of the, out of the fog. (laughs) You know, it did. And, and coming under the Golden Gate Bridge had been a, it had been like our target, I think for three years, like ever since we bought KaiQuest, the plan was to get her south. And um, we finally did. And we were like, oh my gosh, like, I remember there was, there was a weather warning and it was a heat wave. It was that, that year, there was like a crazy heat wave. It was 2017. And we came in and we anchored in Sausalito and it was like, 30 degrees were Celsius, like it was hot. It was just like, we felt like we were in the tropics. We were so happy. Um, yeah, it's been a week anchored in. And then like a week later we were walking, we were doing a hike up the hill and we started talking to some, some lady, remember? And she was like, oh yeah, don't you know that like the, what is it? The, <laughs> the coldest winter the, oh, the coldest winter you ever have oh was a summer in san francisco yeah <laughs> august in san francisco or something yeah that's a that's a mark twain well right, I, it's right. attributed yeah. to mark twain i don't know if he actually ever said it but the coldest, the coldest winter i ever spent, spent was a summer in san francisco yeah yeah so we figured that out but it was still you know what it was still so much warmer than vancouver um, even in the winter. So we were very happy to be there. <laughs> when you were on the right side of the bridge, just over yes. the bridge and in yeah. the city where I live, the fog just rolls in. Yeah, so. yeah, totally. Yeah, that's that's actually why we picked Alameda because we were like, yeah, the estuary, a little bit warmer, I think, than some other yeah. spots. So you guys made a home base there in Alameda for a bit. Which marina yeah. were you in? We were in Marina Village. Okay. Yeah. That's great. And that's, yeah, what a wonderful place. Alameda is a, a wonderful little island to, to have as your home base to explore the Bay Area. Absolutely. Yeah, oh, it was yeah. so cool. What are some of your memories of, um, of cruising San Francisco Bay? Some of your fondest memories? Oh, I mean, we loved, so we loved Treasure Island. We thought that was so cool. And yeah. we went over there a couple of times for the flea market. I don't, don't know if that still goes on. There's like, I think it's once a month or something. And it's funny because today, actually, we just pulled out these photos that we had bought there. There's one of like, of the Golden Gate Bridge that we bought from a photographer that we yeah. mounted upstairs in our living room. So we're oh, nice. reliving those memories. Yeah, anchor in there in Clipper Cove. Yeah. Clipper Cove, yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. That yeah. was cool. We planned on going further up the Delta. Like I'd actually done it when we were sailing with my family way back in the day. We went up the San Joaquin River. I can't remember how far we made it, but uh, this we were trying to do the same thing, but it was in November and uh, it was actually really <laughs> rainy and there was a lot of runoff. Yeah. Mm. And so we only really made it to Benicia and, and that was it. And we're like, oh, this isn't gonna, this isn't gonna work right now. <laughs> Well, you'll have to hit the Delta on your way back. 
up with the boat. Um, yeah, if you yeah, come back, there'll be no up. There'll no be no up. All right. No. Well, what is the plan? I should ask. Yeah, you know what? Like the plan is written in the sand at low tide. The, right. the boat will probably. We had the boat. We were in California, honestly, for like three years. Um, and we absolutely loved it. And of course, we, we came and went because as a Canadians, we can only be in the States for six months. So we kind mm. of came and went. We were there for about six months every year cruising. Um, and then the plan was to get down to Mexico. Um, and now that we have like the, the little guys on board, it's, it's actually, we just know there's lots of young, there's lots of families down there. It's really safe, easy, warm cruising. So we're just going to wait until they're a little bit older before, you know, just, just, Stick around there for the next few years we, at least. We yeah. quite like the commuter style cruising. Yeah. I think it's nice because you kind of get the best of both worlds going back and forth. Mm -hmm. um, and the trip when we were on HydroQuest was really fast. You know, to do the whole South Pacific in eight months is just, in yeah. hindsight, it's almost crazy. But uh, so when we bought this boat, you know, one of our plans was just to basically do the opposite and go as slow <laughs> as possible. So the fact that it took us three years to get down the <laughs> Washington, California coast. Uh, so slow. I love it. I love it. <laughs> You've done both ends of the scale. It's, yeah. been, it's been very relaxing. <laughs> um, I had a, a couple on the podcast who spent 10 years in the Sea of Cortez because they just fell mm -hmm. in love with it. And yeah. they had you know their, yeah. their two girls aboard and the girls grew up in, in Mexico. Yeah. It's it's a really awesome place to cruise, like Pacific Mexico, the Sea of Cortez. And we don't feel the pressure now, you know, because we've already left. We've already like yeah. seen the South Pacific. We know what it's like. We know we want to go back there, but we don't feel like huge pressure to like get there because we've already been. So we're kind of like very relaxed about it. And I feel like we can just like hang out in Mexico for, for a little bit and not we're super lucky on the west coast having mexico as your sort of starting ground for cruising because it's it's easy it, the people are nice it's yeah. inexpensive it's you know beautiful depending on where you go but i will say that there's a lot of people who get trapped in mexico yeah. and you never leave which is kind yeah. of unfortunate because it's it's the Bahamas of the West Coast. It totally yeah, is. Yeah, exactly. Like when we exactly. when we were there seven years ago, people were like, oh my gosh, why would you go to the South Pacific? You, have, This is the best cruising in the world. And we're like, sure. you understand? It's great. But like, we just want to see some other stuff. So <laughs> we'll be back one day. <laughs> yeah, and there's benefits of both. There are. Yeah, that's very true. So now you have two little boys. Mm -hmm. uh, what are their names? Hugo mm -hmm. and Kip. A year and a half about? <laughs> they are, yes, yeah. exactly. And yeah. how is it cruising with two little boys as opposed to being footloose and fancy free? <laughs> <laughs> it's a different ball game, we I'll tell you are, that. <laughs> yeah, we're doing a lot of thinking about what it's going to be like on the boat starting next week. But, you know, the cruising we've done with them so far was relatively easy because when babies are babies, they're just babies. They're just little, you know, blobs and you feed them and you cuddle them, but like they're not moving around. And I would say it was relatively easy at that we time. Some, we had some pretty hairy moments. I mean, down the bar. Was, <laughs> there were some few, there were a few things I was definitely questioning. But <laughs> we had one really rough night actually uh, between Turtle, Turtle Bay, Bay and Santa Maria. Yeah. And it just blew up. It was, you know, the wind kept building. Of course, at sunset, it just got, you know, 
more intense, more intense. And I think we peaked at somewhere over 35 knots. Wow. And uh, we're, I was on watch and just kept reefing down and reefing down and the boys are down below and, you know, we're all feeling a little bit off and sort of seasick and kind of wondering how big these conditions are going to get. And I went down below and there's Hugo rolling around in his cabin like a, like a ping asleep. pong ball, just fast asleep. Back and forth and he <laughs> slammed. Yeah. Oh, that actually made me feel a lot better. I was like, okay. If he can handle it, we can handle it. <laughs> and for him, it's normal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But twins is really no joke to begin with. I mean, it's a lot of work. So we're, yeah. we kind of like make it that much harder on ourselves between trying to sail and keep yeah. up with work and do all this stuff. But, you know, it's the only way to be. <laughs> <laughs> that is we great. Love it. Just testing yeah. yourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> wonderful. So let's talk about that. You work while you're cruising how long have you been doing that you both work for hydrovane right yes that's right yeah will's been at it for a lot longer than me yeah 18 years is it that long 17 years yeah a long oh, time wow but we we actually worked from going all the way across the south pacific mm -hmm. um probably running at about 80 percent capacity wow compared to Back what we then, did yeah. and one of the negatives of that was that we were always chasing Wi-Fi or 3G, 4G coverage. So we were, it was harder for us to get off the beaten track, whereas some of our friends were able to sort of go off into, you know, no man's land, whereas we were always sort of conscious of that. It's a small sacrifice to pay for, you know, doing what we were doing. Now doing it on this on the second round, and of course we're in North America, so it's a different story. But it's it's so much easier to achieve. Yeah, to work remotely for work sure. Remotely. I mean, everyone's working remotely now. So. Right, right. So tell us a little bit about Hydrovane. I'm sure there are a lot of listeners who know what the, about the Hydrovane wind vane, but there are I'm sure some who don't. So give us the the pitch and the spiel about Hydrovane wind vanes. <laughs> Oh man, it's so funny because I had no idea what a hydrovane was when I met Will and for the first like five years of our relationship. And then it wasn't until we went sailing that I really figured it out and what it can do for you. But as you said, it is a wind vane. So it, it's a, a self-steering system that is completely mechanical. So draws no power, um, unlike your electronic autopilot. Um, and it's a very simple system. It's actually been around for 50 years. Uh, it was invented in England uh, by an engineer there and developed, you know, over 50 years. So today's model is different, but it, it's just fantastic. So when you're sailing long distance, you just set a vane into the wind. And as you fall off course, the, the vane moves because of the different wind angle. And that in turn moves a rudder, which is an auxiliary rudder. So it doesn't actually take over your main rudder. It's, it's, it has its own rudder and that keeps you on course. So it's, it's totally ingenious and it makes sailing so much more fun. <laughs> the, not... the cool thing too for long distance sailing, if you're gonna do any blue water stuff is that you're always steering an apparent wind-based mm -hmm. course. You know, people get so used to autopilots where you're always steering a compass-based course and you wanna go from A to B and you wanna keep it as straight as possible. But with a wind vane, you're steering to the wind. And for longer distances, that's key because if you're the only one on watch, you're not going to be up there constantly trimming the sails to keep the boat, you know, performing at its best. 
Whereas when you're steering with a wind vane, it's following the wind. So the boat is always trimmed out. So yeah. you, you may end up steering a few more miles than you would if you were just trying to go A, B, C, D, E and make landfall. But uh, it's, it's, you have to experience it to really appreciate it. And if you're chasing two twins around. <laughs> I mean, there is zero time for steering on our bike. <laughs> I don't think I've touched the wheel in like Sarah doesn't know how to steer. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, another attractive thing about the hydrovane, as you mentioned, is the rudder. Uh, unlike yeah, sure. servo pendulums, which use the original rudder, it, it, can, it can act as a, an emergency rudder if something happens. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, two rudders. Are better than one rudder so <laughs> yeah. you know that's that's uh it's amazing the number of stories yeah. that we hear every year about how many people have had rudder failures or steering failures and a lot of time it's not actually the rudder itself it's a linkage failure it's a quadrant failure mm -hmm. it's somewhere in the system and just knowing that you've got that fallback is is pretty important yeah. mm. and so you guys had hydro veins i assume um on both boats no we had an aries <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah no we definitely we had a hydrovane on on our first boat and and installing one on kaipos was one of the first things that we did as well yeah that's right and, it's, and I, it's so it's so fun though being part of a business where you have a product that basically carried you a third of the way around the world like it's hard not to get passionate about it. I know. It I get so excited about it because we've we've been there. We've done it. We like know how important it is and how how like how it changes your cruising life because you're not worried about all those things that you need to keep working to make sure your autopilot doesn't fail. And like we were out there in the South Pacific, like listening on single sideband radio um, to to people on the puddle jump whose autopilots failed. And who were having to hand steer and you know this one couple they they kind of went crazy it took them 39 days to get to the marquesas Ouch. and they sold the boat shortly thereafter because it was such a terrible experience for them um so it's just kind of one of those things that takes a lot of pressure off all of the other things on the boat when when you're when it's something that's completely mechanical so you don't need to have that power to run it yeah and it and they hardly ever break so you know like we just um i don't know if you know about the golden globe race the sure. yeah yeah okay yeah. so um hydro i think that there were we were at the start which was really really cool back in 2018 and of the boats that were setting off there were about eight hydrovanes um so certainly most of the sailors in that race had chosen hydrovane and then almost all of the other wind vane types failed for some reason or, or another as these boats were going around the world um, being captain sailed solo. And the guy who won the race, uh, famous French sailor Jean-Luc Vandenheed, uh, he had a hydrovane yes. on, on his boat. And then also the third place finisher uh, also had a hydrovane and, and we had really no failures. So it's just amazing at how robust uh, the unit really is. That is great. Uh, yeah, I followed that race quite closely. And oh uh, man, it was so exciting. Yeah, we can't wait for the the 2022. Yeah, <laughs> I mean the, the cool thing about the the Golden Globe race is that it's relatable for your yeah. average sailor. Well, exactly. You know, it's not like these are foiling boats that are doing you know 100 knots and. These are good old know, boats. These are just good old boats, and people understand them, and 
yeah. a real adventure, I would say. It's, it's a little more relatable than the yeah. than the foiling super super <laughs> monsters that are about to sail in in Auckland, yeah. which will be amazing to watch, but uh, yeah. hard to put a hydrogen on the back of those. Yeah, <laughs> I loved that uh, Wilbur Spall, who yeah. had a nine foot boat. Yeah. The, the hydrovane must have been almost as tall as his boat was long. Yeah. The back. He was so um, cool. He, what an amazing thing to try and do. I, I hope he goes again and achieves it. But I, uh, I do too. I really do. I sailed out and um, well, I had him on the show, which was great. Talked yeah. to him. He was really gracious. And then the day he left, we sailed and did a circle around him and, and said, said bye. And yeah. um so yeah, it was it was too bad to see him sail have to sail back, but I think he's gonna I hope he's gonna try again. I hope he is too. I mean he proved a lot just as far as he made it that the boat can do it. And I, I, and think, I have no doubt that he can do it. So I think the top of his vein was the same height as his mast. <laughs> yeah, <practically. laughs> yeah. 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 You guys must get all kinds of stories uh, from uh, all I over mean, the world. Yeah. It's just so neat. That's what's to, so cool to, about what we do. And to work in the marine industry. Like yeah. we just, people who are setting out on their adventures and who are so excited, people who are out there doing it, like people who have planned for 18 years. I remember we, like a few years ago at Southampton Boat Show, we had a guy who had looked at Hydrobane for his boat 18 years before. And he finally that year was ready to place a deposit. So it's just like you talk to these people every year and like everyone just gets uh, yeah. Yeah, so excited about their planning and then they actually go out and do it. So it's very in inspiring. Yeah, it's kind of neat too because we're, most people are buying our system, you know, f towards the end of their outfitting phase. Mm -hmm. So it also means that buying a hydrovane is their last sort of push to get to the start yeah. line. Once you have when you're going offshore. <laughs> yeah, no, that's the thing. Is you're talking to people who are doing real ocean passages. Yeah. yeah. Now, Sarah, you said in passing that you, you were going to have to see how it goes next week. Are you guys headed off to the boat next week? We are. Yeah, we're, it's, you know, this is, these are strange times, COVID times. And, you know, we've been so lucky here in, in BC. Um, but we're really, our boat has been sitting in the water in Marina La Paz because we left in a hurry for eight months. Um, we're, we are very excited to get back. You know, we have some trepidation about the flight, but once we down there, once we're down there, we're just like looking forward to just being our little family unit on the boat and, um, you know, letting the boys start to live this life that we really, really, really want to share with them. So you know, we have, I have some mother anxiety, I guess, but overall, I'm very, very excited to head back down. That would be natural. What, yeah. what kinds of things do you, have you done to the boat for sailing with kids? Well, we have netting yeah. around, so we actually have the netting uh, for the dog, because we've got a little <laughs> mini poodle that was sort of our, our first baby. It was baby. our first baby, yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's going to be interesting because like we, we had them all when they were babies. So it's such a different thing now. Well, we converted the main salon. Yeah, the so main salon. We is haven't kind used of like the main salon table in quite a while. It's <laughs> going to be, yeah, it's going to be kind of a learning experience. So we put up a lee cloth in the main salon. So we drop the table and make it basically like a giant playpen. Okay. 
Um, I mean, the timing couldn't have been better, really, um, because we were home, we're here in Vancouver during the time when they were learning how to walk. So yeah. now they're kind of, they've got their land legs, and I'm, yeah. I feel like their sea legs should come after land legs. So, <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I can tell you, a three-year-old and a six-year-old, I have two yeah. girls, they just see a boat as a massive jungle gym. And That's they have found good. spots to hang upside down awesome. and flip off of that you, I didn't even know existed. So. <laughs> I love to hear that. And that's what we were saying last night. It's like going to be like a, a gym class for them every day. They're going to be like, I don't know, just get so much stronger and fitter just from being on the boat. Just we, like we do too. <laughs> we had uh, one of those jolly jumpers. So when we were going down the Baja, <laughs> we would rig the jolly jumper off the boom and oh. then they would bounce up and down in the jolly jumper. Oh, that's great. <laughs> well, it's kind of cool. I feel like there's a lot of families out there now sailing with kids and there's a lot of information um, that you can, you know, find of, of safe ways to set up your boat. So we're really excited. I think it's, have you been in touch with um, other cruisers and families down in Mexico about how things are going and what, how cruising has changed down there? Um, we haven't really. I mean, it's been like, off season, right? Yeah, because so it's hurricane, hurricane season. season. So I feel like there's not that many people over the summer anyways. Like I know there was a, a large group that was kind of way up north in the Sea of Cortez just mm -hmm. during um, the bad stages of COVID. But we had some friends who were recently down there. Um, Lyle and Katie from Sun Powered Yachts and yep. they did a charter out of La Paz and um, yeah I think you know the La Paz has taken COVID quite seriously so I know that like even in grocery stores kids can't even go in like you know they're everyone's wearing masks so we're not really worried in, in that sense um, and we know the cruising there we know how great it is in the month of kind of November December it's the water's still warm, the, the temp, the air temp's cooling down. So we're just really excited for a bit of the, sun. The guy who looks after our boat said that in the marina there, they take it so seriously, yeah. they actually are checking everyone's temperature as they come in. Wow. So they, yeah. um, they are pretty serious about it. Yeah. That's great. Well, I guess you can get down there, clean the bottom of the boat. Yeah. First order of business. It's been sitting yeah. in tropical water for eight months. And yeah. I know. It was not our plan, that's for sure. So we got to make sure she's okay. <laughs> what haven't we talked about that you guys want to mention? <laughs> oh, man. I mean, I want to hear more about you and your family and what you guys are planning. <laughs> well, we can do that after the interview. Uh, but, uh, yeah. It's been a real pleasure to talk with you guys. This is yeah. great. I'm glad we caught up and hopefully we'll um, catch up on the water at some point. Or I'm maybe sure even another uh, boat show if they happen again one day. In if the they happen again, yeah, things have kind of changed. But our next scheduled show is Seattle <laughs> yeah. in uh, end of January, right. and they're trying hard to make it happen. But uh, I'm pretty sure it's going to go virtual. Yeah. Uh, has that? Um, I know that boat sales have been through the roof. Have oh, hydroplane yeah. sales been good? Yeah, it's actually, it's amazing. You know, when it, for COVID first came out, there was about a week where things really came to a, a grinding halt. And then ever since then, it's just sort of been on an upward trajectory. And it's, um, it's amazing. I think that a lot of people are just realizing that uh, really at the end of the day, cruising and being on a boat is probably your best escape vehicle from, you know, isolating yourself and dealing with this sort of thing. 
And the other thing I was going to mention is it's amazing what we're seeing now is the younger generation going cruising. Mm-hmm. You know, even when I started in the business, you know, over 15 years ago, it was definitely more of the sort of retiree crowd or semi-retired crowd that were sort of planning this their whole life and they're finally going. But now we're getting all these young YouTubers that are, you know, documenting their travels and, uh, it's uh, so cool. It's really neat I to see that. I love what everyone's that. doing. Yeah. Awesome. When we first started out in Mexico, everyone was like, oh, you're not going to find any other young boats out there, you know? Like, oh, I think there might be another, like, young couple over, I, I heard. And we kind of did band together with these other younger boats that we found. But it was fewer and, and farther between. So I do think that the cruising has become a thing that you do now when you want to do it, not just waiting until but the, other, the final years. The South Pacific is so different from cruising in Mexico because in cruising Mexico, predominantly a lot of them are either American or Canadian boats. Yeah. When you get into the South Pacific, it's there's so many Europeans, there's people from all over the world. Mm-hmm. And to get there, you've had to cover a lot of miles. So you've mm-hmm. earned your stripes. And uh, I remember we were in Bora Bora, and I think it was a Canada Day celebration we had going on there. And there was 26 boats in the mooring field, and over half of those boats were 30 and under. Oh, that is fantastic. Yeah. That's cool. And that was a while ago, so. Yeah. When you say 30 and under, I'm assuming you mean age, not size of boat. Yeah, yeah. Well, age, but also there were a lot of small boats. Too. Really? Were, Good. Yeah, That's well, great to hear. The, mm-hmm. the Europeans are all on much smaller boats. Yeah. Yeah. You know, cause they're used to living in smaller spaces. Yeah. Like our, our kind of best cruising friends, they were on 26, 27, 27 you know, like under 30. And wow. then we had this Beneteau first 405, which like was like such a big boat, you know, <laughs> party on your boat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks guys. This has been great. Oh, thank you so much for chatting with us. It was an absolute pleasure. So you've you've amped us up for our our upcoming cruising and and our past cruising. (laughs) That's it for this episode. You can follow Will and Sarah on their blog, SV KaiQuest. That's S-V-K-A-I-Q-U-E-S-T dot com. And you can learn more about hydrovane wind vanes at hydrovane.com. Thanks, as always, for listening. I'm Ben Shaw, host and producer of the show. Until next time, smooth sailing.